Wow. Amen. Actually, can you put that slide back up there, the one that was just up? When the songs of the angels are stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. When the magi have gone home. What, what, what an incredible message to carry with us through the year that the, Christmas doesn't end in December. Christmas doesn't even end with, with Epiphany. The message of Christmas continues. So when the shepherds have finished, when everyone's gone home, when the Magi and the pirates have returned, you know there are pirates, right? Gold, frankincense, and what the pirates bring? Myrrh. It sounded much better in my head. It sounded much better in my head. It, it continues. The work of Christmas. The work of Christmas continues. The impact of Christmas continues. I, I, I really enjoyed Advent and Christmas this year, and especially the music. So thank you all, choir and bells, bell team. Thank you for leading us, and uh, Ed and, and Pavel and everyone. Um, I don't usually get to January and think, oh, I'm going to miss Christmas music, because it started in October. <laughs> but, but this year I kind of feel that way. Like I'm getting to Christmas, and I, or getting into January and thinking, I, I miss, I'm going to miss Christmas. I'm going to miss the music. I'm going to miss it all. And it was just a good season here. And that's not to say that there wasn't a good amount of stress as well, especially the week leading up to Christmas. On top of all the regular stress that comes with the season, most of the schools in our area didn't get out until December 22nd which didn't give parents a whole lot of time to get ready for Christmas Eve. But that meant that we had more time after Christmas. This, this whole week, this, this past week, and it has been wonderful. Every single parent I ran into over the last few days at, at parks, on basketball courts, in grocery stores, at a restaurant of kids ranging from preschool age to go to preschool here all the way up to high school. Every single parent I met who had that extra week said, oh, it was so nice. It was so nice to have that, that extra time. And yet, at some point, right about the time where I noticed that Thomas, our eight-year-old, had been wearing his pajamas for 48 hours straight, I, I realized that this next week is going to come as a rude awakening. If we didn't spend some time kind of easing back into our regular schedules, of easing back into our routines... It was a quiet work or a quiet week here at, at church as well, with most of the days there just being three or four of us on campus, which gave us time to kind of reflect on the year it had been and, and to look forward to what was on the horizon. There is a lot to celebrate with how we ended as a church here in 2023. From our 55th anniversary to a festive Advent kickoff celebration, a successful choir concert all the holiday parties and informal gatherings, all leading up to a a meaningful Christmas Eve. I knew just how significant the season was where uh, this is kind of the insight into what what a pastor's life looks like on Christmas Eve when I went to my office to to pack everything up. And um, it's about 10.30, 10.45, and, and I packed everything up and I went back out onto the courtyard expecting it to be empty. And there were still people standing around talking. And I'm thinking in my head, go home. 
go home. But they were still sitting around talking, enjoying fellowship with one another, spending time with one another. And it was just this wonderful picture of what the season had meant. Just after singing Silent Night, about an hour earlier, they kept talking. So a big thank you to everyone, including the choir, everyone who made decorating team, everybody who, who spent time making the season what it was. And now with yesterday being Epiphany and the Christmas season kind of really being done, we move forward. And we have the opportunity to build on the season that we just had. So we're, we're continuing our journey together by looking at a, a handful or so of the 300, about 300, questions that Jesus asked. Did you know that? That in Scripture, Jesus asks more than 300 questions. More than 300 questions. Whether they're questions he asked his first followers or questions that he asked his earliest adversaries. He asked questions. And there's something that we can learn from each of the conversations that he had. We're starting with the first question he asks in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, starting at verse 35. If you have your Bibles, I always invite you to bring your Bibles. You're welcome to follow along. The words will also be up on the screen. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around. Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which translated to Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last Sunday, Pastor Darrell preached on the first five verses of this gospel, first five verses of John, uh, the beginning the word becoming flesh, dwelling among us, or as Eugene Peterson translates, one of my favorite translations of any verse in the Bible, the word becoming flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood. I think of Peterson's translation every time someone new moves on to our street or I have arrived in a new neighborhood. Uh, I'll never forget when one of our new neighbors arrived a, a few years ago. I, I got home, I pulled up in front of our house about the same time that the moving truck was there. And I figured it'd be a great time to kind of get out and go and, and introduce myself to the family. And I walked up as they were unloading some, some heavy furniture from the moving truck into the house. The husband didn't notice I was coming. Uh, and I heard him say a few very choice words as he carried this heavy item into the house. When he saw me, he he set it down and, and he, he came over and introduced himself and we, we exchanged pleasantries. We, we greeted one another. And after a couple minutes, he said, hey, I hear there's a pastor who lives in the street. Do you know where he lives? I kind of looked down and said, that's me. And he started apologizing for the language. I said, don't, don't worry about it. You're fine. And we're now fairly good friends. 
Most of us, we understand the concept of neighborhood and how the dynamics of a community change when someone new moves in or somebody we've known for a long time moves away. So the word becoming flesh and moving in, it changed everything. And it continues to change everything. The work of Christmas begins. Last week, Pastor Darrell also mentioned that anyone who read or heard these first verses of John would have pretty, pretty quickly pictured Genesis. They, they would have pictured the beginning of the Bible. The beginning before anything was made. The earth formless and void. The Spirit of God hovered above the water. Light pulled from darkness. Plants from earth. Some animals from the sky, some from the ground, some from the sea. And humankind, the capstone of it all. So as John starts, it's as if he's, he's pointing to those earliest words in Genesis, and he's saying, the Word was there. The Word was there, and in Him was life. And that life was the light to all people. And then, unlike the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke... We don't really get the full Christmas story. We don't get the Christmas narrative. Instead, we jump right to John the Baptist. At some point, after Jesus' baptism, John the Baptist and two of his disciples, they see Jesus in the neighborhood. And John the Baptist calls out, Look! There he is! There he is! The Lamb of God! And Jesus replies, What do you want? Or, as translated elsewhere, what are you looking for? It's the first question that Jesus asks. And it sets the stage, it sets the tone for every conversation that follows in John's Gospel. What are you looking for? And once again, we see John mimic what happens in Genesis. After Adam and Eve eat from the only tree they're told not to eat from, they hear or they notice the Lord moving in the garden. And what do they do? This is the responsive part. What do they do? They hide. They hide. And we're told that God says, where are you? What are you looking for? What do you want? Where are you? John John mimics. The start of Genesis. And again, he sets the tone for his entire gospel in the same way that the entire tone of Scripture is set in Genesis. It's the image of a loving God searching for people who have questions, searching for people who have doubts, doubts about who they are, doubts about their own identity, big picture doubts about meaning and why things happen the way that they do. People who are afraid of what an encounter with the living God might actually look like in their lives. What do you want? Where are you? What are you looking for? God approaches them in the same way that I believe he approaches us today. With an invitation to dig deeper and to step into an ongoing journey. One of the things that uh, I enjoyed most about our kids being out of school over these last two weeks has been the break of homework. Fletcher, can I get an amen? (laughs) 
Yeah, the break from homework, not having homework. And I know kids are saying amen, but I know, I know that parents are saying amen too. It was so nice to keep the folders in the backpacks, to read fun books, and to not worry about having to learn another new way of doing the same old math. Any parent or tutor, anyone who sat down to do schoolwork with a, a, a child has heard the frustrated child ask the question, why can't you just tell me the what, Fletcher? The answer. Dad, just give me the answer. Just give me the answer. It'd be so much easier we could be the time. You know what? Half the time I really want to do it. I just want to say, here, here it is. But a good teacher doesn't just give the answer. That's not the goal of a, a teacher. A good teacher knows how to reframe the problem to get the student to think to get the student to, to kind of struggle through finding and learning and growing. When Jesus asks questions, his goal isn't to stump his followers, to leave them frustrated, or just to give them a riddle for the sake of it. The goal was to lead them on a journey. And it's a journey that I would hope we would embrace as a church in 2024. John's account of what happens first in Jesus's ministry is, is different. It looks different. It's a different angle than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the other gospels, it starts with a, a softer or even kinder introduction between Jesus and the disciples. It's, it's come and follow me. Jesus is walking along the shore and he says, Hey, come, come and follow me. With John, it's much more abrupt. What do you want? What do you want? The two disciples here, John the Baptist, their leader, make this declaration. Look, there he is, the Lamb of God. And they're stopped in their tracks. They can't help but turn and look. I imagine that they didn't just turn and look, but that they actually turned and took some steps toward Jesus. And he saw them taking steps toward them. And they said, hey, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? As they approach his question makes sense. I mean, if you were walking in your neighborhood and somebody walked up behind you, what would you say, Brady? <laughs> you tell him to get away. You tell you maybe you might tell him to get away. You probably say, "Hey, can I help you? Uh, are, are you looking for something? Are you lost?" Depending on how they look, Brady, get away from me. Can I have some space? How close they're following you? Right? But it makes sense. They start approaching Jesus and he says, Hey, can I help you? What are you looking for? Now, we don't know Jesus' tone if he's angry or concerned or, or, or maybe on the other end of the spectrum actually endearing. But we know his question gets to their heart. We know his question gets to their heart, uh, to their desires. What do you want? What are you looking for? It's, it's an invitation to examine themselves. In that moment, I'm not sure they had enough time to fully answer Jesus' question. And we might not be able to completely answer it ourselves either. And that's, that's okay. That's okay. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't reflect on the question. What do you want? Have you thought about that? What, what are you looking for with Jesus? 
What are you looking for? My guess is some of you spent time this week, anybody I should say, spent time writing out resolutions, New Year's resolutions, goals. Anybody else just realized I tried it years before, I'm never trying it again? Well, maybe those goals or those resolutions are resting more, maybe it's reading more, maybe it's exercising, maybe it's finally being serious about the goal you set in 2023 or 2022 or 1985. Who knows? But this is the time of the year that invites self-examination. And the question that Jesus asks here is a good prompt for us as we think about the year. What do we want from our relationship with Jesus? What are we looking for in our relationship with Jesus? I'd invite us to spend some time this week reflecting on how we might answer it. John the Baptist, two disciples, they don't, they don't give a, a direct answer. Instead, they answer with another question. Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus welcomes their question and he invites them to, to come and see. Now, he doesn't give them all their answers, but he gives them enough. You notice that? He gives them enough to take another step forward. He gives them enough to, to actually go and and see. Now, if you've been at WPC a while, uh, at one point or another, you've likely heard me say that my entire philosophy preaching is not to give all the answers. I couldn't give them all if I wanted to. But it's to lead you each and every week hungry, searching for more, with more questions. So first, I don't, I don't have the answers. Second, I don't have all the answers. Second, it's, it, it's, it's all of our responsibilities together to open Scripture and to look for answers, to familiarize, familiarize ourselves with God's story. And third, we learn from one another. One answer, one perspective leads to another. Aubrey and I talk about this all the time. Aubrey goes to a sermon study on Monday, and then he comes on Wednesday. And I'm like, Aubrey, haven't, haven't you had enough? <laughs> and, and, and no, because he hears one perspective in one area and another perspective in another area. And, and you can feed off of that and you can learn from one another. It's why we have our Wednesday studies. It's why we have our, our Wednesdays at Westminster. Uh, starting this coming week, uh, Pastor Dale is going to be kind of launching into Bible 101. And the whole point of this series is how do we actually engage with the Bible? How do we, how do we read the Bible? Because if you're reading Genesis the same way that you're reading Paul's letters, you're going to struggle. If you're reading John the same way that you're reading Isaiah, you're going to struggle. The whole reason that we emphasize growing in faith together is so that we can grow together. Grow together. It doesn't stop here on Sunday morning. Andrew, one of the two disciples who was there with John the Baptist, he's so excited when he goes and sees that he goes and tells his brother, Simon Peter. Jesus' question encourages him to share the journey with someone else. Now, Andrew, he hadn't figured everything out. He, he knew some things. He had found the Messiah. But that's about it. So he goes to his brother and he says, hey, come and figure it out with me. Let's find some answers to questions together, which will then lead to more, more questions. 
It's what the heart of our mission as a church here is WPC. We say that we exist to invite all people to follow Jesus on a journey of faith, friendship, and service. And when we're saying that, we're not saying we have every answer. That we've got it all figured out. Or that we will ever have it all figured out this side of heaven. We're saying that as we journey, we're committed to learning more about what it looks like to follow Jesus. About what following Jesus means for us individually, personally. About what following Jesus means for a community together as we follow Jesus. And about what following Jesus means for how we impact the rest of the world. The journey itself is what shapes us. So we'll continue to ask questions and to grapple with the questions that Jesus asked. And along the way, my hope and my prayer for us this year is that we would be shaped and our lives would be enhanced as we invite other people to join us along the journey. Jesus' first question, what do you want? What are you looking for? Where are you? It's a question that begs a response. And my hope for this year is that we would be shaped as we respond. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for the gift of your word. And God, for the gift of community. Lord, may we continue to be examining our hearts. May we continue to ask questions. And may we never grow tired of inviting others to journey with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.